Excellent. Ah, there we go. Nice light in my face. Um, so we also had amazing sunrises. Now, for those of you who, ah, uh, oh, well, we don't have a church logo here. Anyway, part of it is a sunrise, and often people ask us why I have it as a sunrise. But oh, there we go. Well done, Callum. You're on it. Um, and part of why we did it there is, I mean, Sarah and I love sunrises, but there's something about a sunrise, whether it's over the water, whether it's in the morning at the bush, there's something special that it evokes in us of hope, of good things to come, of new and uh, new starts, of God's mercies that are new, the start of a new day. And so we wanted that sunrise. And just as I looked at it uh, on holiday again and again, I was just... I was so thrilled again to go, Lord Jesus, that's, that's still what we're praying for. We're praying for new sunrise moments, for new hope, for new mercies from God in each one of your lives. And every seat here has a story. Every seat, whether it's filled or not, if it's empty here, there's a story yet to be written of someone still to explore faith and come to faith. If it's filled here today, God has a story for your life that he's writing. You might not realize it yet. Maybe you're here visiting, a friend invited you. You don't have a faith in Christ. You're exploring Christianity. I want you to know that there's a story that God has written for your life of impact, of purpose, to bless others, to live a life of hope and joy. And, and so that's what a sunrise just elicits. It's so exciting. And so no matter your circumstance, he's at work. Whether you know him or not today, he is very close. And also I've been overwhelmed with gratitude at what it means to be part of a church family like we are. If we could go away, to be honest, it sounds like, as I said earlier, it did run better without us being here. Um, not without Sarah being here, it would have run just as smoothly, but without me in the mix. But I'm just grateful for team and being part of family. It's the most special thing to be part of a church family where everybody gets stuck in, where people want to serve, where people are excited to sign up to serve, where we, we, we aren't bench warmers, where we're involved and we're active in the church life, where we want to see God's kingdom advance. Uh, it's just so exciting. And so it's exciting to see church thriving. And so I say thank you to you as family. Thank you to the Lord for that. But we're thrilled to be part of this. And we, we know that the gospel of Jesus is the only hope for our city. I know it is. It's not financial resources for people's lives. I know it's not children and their education. Jesus is the only hope. He's the only hope. And so for your friends, for your family, for colleagues, for my friends, my family, he's the only hope. And we want this to be a place where people can explore and find the only hope. And so we're, we're thrilled to see that happen. Uh, and Killian and Dave, are they hiding somewhere? They're there uh, somewhere. Killian and Dave, maybe they've left already. They've decided their work's done. But I hear they just preached up a storm the last two weeks. And so, so absolutely thrilled to see them doing that. And I have the privilege of continuing and finishing our series on foundations. We've been doing a foundation series. I've got the privilege of finishing it. We're going to do it on worship today, this word called worship. And so I'm thrilled on that. And the Bible tells many stories of people so passionate for God, they expressed it vividly, vividly verbally, with their, with their bodies, with their resources, they expressed this word called worship to show God's value to them above everything else. There's a story of a prostitute turned ex-prostitute in Luke 7 verse 37, and she recognized who Jesus was. In spite of the life that she was leading, she saw the love that she had for her. And so she went one night in the midst of openness at a, at a dinner gathering, where she probably wouldn't have been invited or in those circles she, she shouldn't have been. And she came with this jar of expensive perfume that she would have used to try and bring in men or to smell better for men. And she broke this jar or she emptied it on Jesus. And she wept. And she poured out everything that she had in worship to this one who loved her in spite of her mess. She, she just gave everything. There's a story of a widow 
Um, as well that we hear of in Mark 12, this widow who there was the offering basket at the, or box at the back of church, and she dropped in, and people would have been able to hear from the coins how little she gave. It was probably a little bit of snickering from uh, some of the bigger giving boys going, oh, you know, if only she gave like us. And Jesus turns around to everyone there, and she, she says, she has given more than anyone because she gave everything. She poured out everything all of her security, all of what she might eat that night because Jesus had transformed her from the inside out. King David, the one who, who uh, slayed Goliath and had a dramatic influence on the known world at the time when the ark was coming into the city. He sort of got rid of his robe and he danced like a madman before the Lord, like a crazy man. He, he, he didn't care the fact that he was a king. And in fact, sadly, his wife looked on and kind of mocked him. She looked on with disdain at this king who would dance crazily before the Lord. But why? Because that is how much God meant to him. And so these different responses could be described by the word worship. But what exactly is it? What is worship? Well, to find our definitions, we always go to the place that is most honest and most truthful, Google. So you type in, of course, so what is worship? And the Oxford Dictionary from Google says, it's the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Now, I would say it isn't only a deity, the word for a spiritual figure. I would say worship is something we offer to a deity, to a person, to a resource, to a position that we believe is worthy of our hearts and lives above everything else. And so a simpler personal de definition I might give of worship is worship is offering our lives, that sums up all of us, for what we count as most valuable. That's how I define worship. Worship is offering our lives for what we count as most valuable. So worship is the thing in your life and mine which we place at number one compared to everything else that fills in at number two, three, four, five. You can be sitting here today, whether you're a Christ follower or not, and it's easy to say, oh yes, of course, I worship God if I'm a Christ follower, or if you're not, you might still say that even if you don't have a relationship with him. But the way to work it out is what actually is priority to you above everything else. It's what we focus on. It's the yearning of our heart. And so if you're exploring faith today, you may say, well, what do you mean? I thought worship was singing songs in a religious setting. And as a Christ follower, you might say, I thought worship was the slower songs that we sing. We sing praise, and then we get onto the slower songs, and everybody goes quiet, and it's a little bit somber. Everybody gets a bit reserved, and that's worship to me. Now, those things may help us worship. We'll look at that later on. But it's just one of the many parts of this word worship. So if we look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, this talks about where worship starts, why we worship as people. And everybody worships, whether you're a Christ follower or not. You can be an atheist, you worship. You can follow another God, you worship. You can be a Christ follower, you worship. We all are made to worship because we we're created by God. Create us that way. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so um, that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we're never going to be the same as God, but God has put eternity in our hearts. We were created by an eternal God for an eternal relationship with him. Not on equal footing because he created us, but an eternal relationship of life and of worship. 
And he has proved his radical love for us by paying the price for our sins on the cross. And so if you haven't considered Christianity today, keep exploring, stay curious, ask questions, be expectant. And so firstly, we have an opportunity to worship because we were created by God who's given us that opportunity. But secondly, look what it says in Psalm 29 verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord or give to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And so not only has he put that desire to worship within us. He's a God who is worthy above everything else of our worship. He's magnificent in every way. He's completely other to us. And as we recognize that and open our hearts to him, the natural response is to offer our lives to him when we encounter both the greatness and the goodness of God. I'm amazed whenever I fly and I fly over a city I always try to imagine what every person who's driving each vehicle and walking along is going through. What's happening in their lives? Where are they going to? What's happened in their past? Only God knows those things. But it gives me this glimmer of just how big God is, his grandeur, and at the same time, his intricate care for each and every one of us. It gives you this aerial view of, of just what, it, what it's like for God for a moment. And so worship involves every part of us, our heart attitude, our thoughts, our words, physical actions, and more. We were created to worship God, and if we're not worshiping Him, we are most certainly worshiping something else. And so my prayer is that as we go through today, our life's priority would be to worship God. So that's fine, that's what worship is. But how do we practically do it? How do we practically worship God? Well, Romans 12 verse 1 gives us a great indicator. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... And sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to effectively die to your desires, to offer your life for someone else's desires, holy and acceptable to God, this last little bit, which is your spiritual worship. And so Bible is clear that all of life is an opportunity to worship. We must recognize that, that our lives, every moment, can be worshipped to God if lived with a focus and awareness of Him. It's why 1 Corinthians says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, it can be worshipped to God with gratitude, with overflow. Thank you, Lord, that I have teeth that can eat this food. Although my poor daughter has missing her two front ones, so she can't be as grateful, but hopefully the new ones will come through. But uh, for the food that we have, for the clothes, for, for anything, we can be grateful. We can offer it as worship to God. Brother Lawrence, a monk, was known for saying, you can wash dishes to the glory of God. That was his sort of role and responsibility. And he said, the way that I wash dishes, an awareness of God, it can be an act of worship to him. And in a church setting, we worship God in both adoration of who he is and in service to him. Those two things, adoration and service to him. So it's about what's happening internally in our hearts and how we express that externally. And we're blown away by the heart of service I shared earlier that we see at Hope. We see people stepping up all the time. Can we serve? Can we help? This person's sick. I can step in. Where can I serve? I don't know my gifts or abilities. Put me to work anywhere. And I'm astounded at top business leaders, top leaders in our, in our city here amongst us saying, I don't care what I do. I just want to offer it to Jesus. Just give me any task. And it just shows their heart before God. But we've got a great heart of service here, and we want to see that improving. So service is one thing. I'm blown away by that. If you aren't serving yet, you're missing out on some of what it means to be part of God's family. So feel free to ask the host team. We love serving. But the area I believe we can grow in the most as a church, the most at Hope Church, is how we express adoration to God 
during our services. That's what I think we can, we can grow in a huge way. That could be in times of prayer. It could be times of music. It could be singing. And the thing is, is that to use our bodies and voices to express adoration for something is what we do as humans all the time. It's actually quite natural to all of us, or at least to most of us. Let's take some examples. New Year's Eve. How many of you, when the clock strikes, you know, whatever it is, midnight, I don't usually make it to that. I'm usually in bed at nine. Um, but for those of us who, who make it to New Year's, there's often the song we sing. It might be Old Lang Syne, or there might be fireworks and celebration. People hug each other. If there's mistletoe, is that, is that Christmas or is it New Year's where you kiss under the mistletoe? Is it Christmas? I was close. Only a few days away. Um, anyway, w- what are we doing? We're celebrating an event with something active, with our voice, with our arms, with our bodies. We're celebrating an event. So we do that as people. We did our first ever hope quiz in September or October last year, I think. We're going to do another one this year, and it is going to be like even better. So you're going to have to get your tickets. It's going to be mind-blowing. But we played a guess the song. That's what we did. Guess the song. I have never seen so many people jumping up, singing along, repeat the song, people doing karaoke. Why are we doing it? We're expressing joy and adoration community together with our voices, with our bodies. We're showing it. So we do this all the time. Celebrating a sports game when the team you win scores a goal or a try. I mean, maybe you're a Liverpool supporter. Um, I think it was a 7-0, was it? Um, Any Man United supporters here? Silence. Yeah, I know there's some of you. Not surprised you aren't putting your hands up. Anyway, uh, so Liverpool supporters, 7-0. You could see, I just watched the highlights, but you could see the crowd going crazy. I bet you there were people watching on TV as those goals were scored, standing up, celebrating, jumping around at a team they watched. Maybe you're a Formula One supporter, and when Verstappen wins, which he always does, you jump up and celebrate that happening. Or maybe it's a close one, and as the person you're supporting crosses the line, You go crazy. They can't hear you. You're on the other side of the world celebrating, but you are celebrating with your voice and with your body. We used to do this high school rugby games um, or watching Super 14 live while we're studying at university, and the team would score a try. We would go crazy. Our team would win at St. John's. In my year, we won almost nothing, but in other years, we celebrated often when first team uh, won, and we used to run at the end, run onto the field as these little form ones and twos. Why? Adoration. It's what's natural to us. God's made us to celebrate with all of us. Maybe it's personal celebration for an award after doing well in a race, hugging a fellow competitor, raising your hands in a victory salute. Or maybe for some of us here, it's cheering for our children on the sidelines. I know my little Layla, even at preschool, doing the race and picking up the bean bags on her head and balancing. I was on the side there. Come on, Layla. You can do this. Why am I doing that? Because I love it a bit and I'm excited about it. But I know there's some dads here. You almost get more involved in the game than your kids. Your poor kid is like, please, can my dad not come? Please, can he not come? I just want to play. Um, And and, and you're there, and almost you're hoping that your kid makes Zimbabwe because you never did. Um, I mean, that's that's what I would do if my daughters performed well. I'd be like, yes, my children did very well. Um, And then I could, but it's a form of celebration. Maybe you're a grandparent, and you celebrate your grandkids doing well at sport. We do this naturally as people. I don't think there's many parents whose kids are running down about to score a try or an athletics about to win a race and they're just like, well done, good job, amazing, doing a great job, well done, they're about to cross the finish line, they might win, oh no, there's someone coming up behind them, will they get tackled, no, they're doing okay, well done, great job, 
did a good job. I don't see parents doing that, do I? No, we celebrate because it means something to us. So we use our bodies and our vocal cords because God has created us with an inbuilt desire to express that, to express what means a lot to us with our bodies. Now, if that's natural in those settings, why do we often struggle in a church setting? Why do we struggle in the setting where God is supremely valuable to any of those things, by far a lot more important than Verstappen or any of those things? Why do we then struggle in this setting? I think for two main reasons. I think this will be helpful for us as we go forward. Firstly, the first question we need to ask, for all of us this is helpful, is, is Jesus actually our priority? That's the first one to ask. We need to ask ourselves that question. See, there's many things we can worship other than God. In the northern suburbs of Harare, I think the main things that we worship other than Jesus are this, and this will apply to many others as well. I think people is a huge one. Friendships, family, colleagues, children, I think, I said earlier, is a huge thing. I think often we can be in danger of worshiping our kids. They are priority. They consume us more than our marriages, more than faith. It's our kids, where are they going to go? What school do they go to? Where are they going to go to university? I think we have huge problems with those sorts of things. We can worship people. We can worship comfort. Our homes and what our home is like. Do we need to move to a different home? Do we need to do this? Do we need to change this? But our home space, is it protected enough? Is it safe and secure enough? We can do that. We can worship comfort. Holidays. Bank account reserves, do I have enough stored up? Is there enough? If I just get to this level, I'll be satisfied. If I get to here, the family's going to be secure. My kids' inheritance is going to be sorted out. Those are things that we can worship comfort. Success, business growth, accolades, possessions, possessions that demonstrate success to all others around. I remember a friend of mine had the latest discovery, and uh, he, had, he had come out to Zimbabwe. He was away on holiday, um, and I'd had shoulder surgery. So he was like, oh, listen, um, you know, you just drive it for like the time that I'm away. Can I tell you that just driving around Borodell Village, I felt like a different person. And when I got out of that car, I made sure that I took quite a long time if there were people around because I just wanted someone to just see me like shut the door or like driving at night. I was always just like, listen, this light's turned on by itself. This is amazing. Made me feel like a different person. But we can worship our possessions. They can become our source of worth. And the next and the latest and the newest, it can become a source of worth in our lives. So success, continuing growth, making sure that we are above everyone else when it comes to the workplace, just making sure that we are competing on a level greater to everyone else. We have to be aware of this. Health, fitness, worshiping our, worshiping our bodies and what our bodies look like. Should we be healthy? Yes. Should it be an idol in our lives? No. What about our, um, our, our medical place, our health? Always going for, for medical checks. Am I, okay? Am I okay? Is there a problem with me? Is there something wrong with me? We can worship our bodies, our medical status. Are these bad things? No, not at all. They're good things. But if they take priority over Jesus, then it becomes a problem. Because we lose joy. We lose what it means to really follow Jesus. So back to the definition. The way that you and I know that we're worshiping is what we prioritize overall. And don't just brush over this quickly. I've mentioned some things. Maybe some of them have made you get a bit squirrely inside. Or be like, oh, I don't need to listen to that part of the preach. No, this is when you go deeper. This is when you sit at home and you go, Holy Spirit, would you show me the things that I'm worshiping above you? Because you won't have the joy that you're after until Jesus is that number one priority. So you do this. Do this on your own. Chat it through with a, with a trusted friend or, or husband or a spouse. But ask those tough questions. What am I truly worshiping above everything else? 
let the Spirit do some work in your heart. We need constant reminders of who or what we may be worshiping over Jesus. And a key way to find this out is what you and I devote our time to and our resources to. That'll give you and I the greatest indicator of what we're worshiping. Where does our time go? Because time is finite, most valuable resource on the planet. And secondly, our resources, where do we spend them? Where do we invest them? Because money has a hold on each of us. And so if you look at those two, you can analyze it for yourself. It'll demonstrate to you what you're worshiping on how you spend those two things. So look at those and have a check out. It will, it will be helpful. But secondly, I think a lot of us may feel that to show reverence to God or being reverent before God to honor him and love him, we must be quiet, somber, and still. And I think our culture and what's depicted in movies has actually shown this. I think it shows us when there's a church sitting in a movie, suddenly everything's quiet. Whenever anyone walks into a church in a movie, I don't usually hear it loud and chaotic. It's usually very quiet and still. Whenever a business deal is going down or a dodgy deal is going down in a church, always the best place to, to make those things happen in a movie. It's usually very quiet and usually there's no one there. Um, which is sad. I'm happy there's more people here. But the movies in our culture have shown us that we kind of be quiet and sturdy and that way that we're worshiping God. Sure, this may happen at times, but biblically it's very different. Biblically, worship of Jesus is shown in a different light, usually with physical and vocal response. Here's some of them. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all your people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. And the, the same one, talking about King David, I read this out earlier. Look at this. David danced before the Lord with all his might. He was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. A man who killed lions with his bare hands. A man who led the greatest empire at the time. But he danced crazily before the Lord. Why? He was expressing what God meant, as we might do at a sports game or for our kids. Matthew 2 verse 11 going into the house. This was um, the, the wise men who came to honor Jesus. They saw the child with Mary's mother. They fell down and they worshiped. So that was maybe a slow one, but they knelt down. They raised their hands or they put their hands to the ground. They worshiped. And so we see this beautiful blend of body and voice to express adoration to God. It may be loud, it could be quiet, but there was a demonstration of what Jesus meant. So can I encourage you? Can I encourage us? to step out in this area. If we have time in two or three minutes, we, we might sing this as the air I breathe once more and give a chance to respond. But if you've never responded both with your voice or with your body in a, in a sense like this to worship God, can I encourage you to step out and God will do something special. Maybe you've never raised your hands in surrender to God ever because you're just like, I just don't do those sorts of things. Today as we pray could maybe be the first time you ever raise your hand to go, you're actually worth it. Maybe you've never clapped in a church service. You do it on the side of a sports field all the time, but you've never done it here. Maybe you've never knelt before God. I don't care what it is. I just want you to ask God to give you the courage to demonstrate to Him with your voice and with your body the value that He has. It's something special, and God unlocks a huge amount in that. And then I'd also say practice by yourself first. My best practice of this, especially because I don't sing in tune very often, uh, is personal time with God by myself. Sometimes I'll just put in the, uh, on, on the headphones and I'll be listening to a song. I'll be raising my hands. Um, I'll probably not sing too loudly, otherwise Sarah and the girls would run far away. But uh, I'll be doing, in the car, I just go moggy. I mean, in the car, who cares that I'm out of tune? I mean, God doesn't care. No one can hear me. I might look strange, you know, at a traffic light, but they don't work anyway. So people are more concentrating on that. 
But, but, but I go for it. Practice worshiping God with your voice and your body alone. Do it alone. Do it with your kids, if your parents. Our kids love to sing songs. They love to clap. If we put on one of those songs, we, we go for it. In the car, they love to sing along. We do it together. It helps us to not think about what other people think because our kids don't care. So learn and grow in those areas. The words of songwriter Matt Redman says, as we gaze upon the wonders um, of creations, as we look upon the heights of God, who is merciful in his ways and magnificent in his deeds, the life of worship always points us upwards to him. So ask the Spirit to help you grow in these areas. Last three quick points. How can we grow in worship to Jesus? Firstly, prioritize him. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So keep Jesus central. Meditate on him. Think about him. Prioritize time with him. We're in a world fixated on being busy. We wear it like a badge. Chat to someone in the week. Oh, how's your week going? Oh, it's going good. I'm just so busy. Busyness doesn't mean productive. Productive. I was going to say it doesn't mean productivity, so that's why I made it sound funny. But it doesn't mean effectiveness either. We're fixated on getting things done, on progress, on achievement. When it comes to Jesus, throw away the clock. He lives outside of time anyway. The world won't stop moving if you slow down to spend time with Jesus. So prioritize that as a means of worship. Next one, perspective. Matthew 6 verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So live with a healthy perspective of his kingdom over an earthly kingdom. As Christ follows, we're citizens of heaven. We're passing through. Heaven is home, not here. So live with an eternal perspective. Hold the things of this world lightly compared to eternity. See life priorities through the lens of forever. When you consider what you do with your money, what you do with your time, just think, what does this mean in terms of all eternity? Live with gratitude, with thankfulness. Joy will rise. Worship will overflow. The Lord will make your path straight. Last one, perseverance. Sometimes we need to persevere. It's not about instant gratification. Jacob wrestled with God. David waited on God through the night. Paul pursued God in the prison. Jesus is worth giving our time for. David said, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And this gives a picture of a, of a ship captain setting the sail for a destination. And no matter what storm comes, that's where he's aiming at. It's a picture of someone navigating true north. And no matter what obstacle comes his way, he is not going to deviate from that. It's about perseverance. John Piper, he said, raking is easy, but all you get is leaves. Digging is hard, but you might just find diamonds. When you and I persevere in our worship of Jesus, we find something precious, something worthy. I'll close off within the passage from the book of Exodus. Moses has led the Israelite people out of captivity in Egypt. They've experienced radical miracles. You can read this in Exodus if you've never read this in your Bible before. Crazy miracles. God brings them out. He's providing food for them from heaven. They are living a miraculous life. He's directing them with a, a pillar of, of smoke in the daytime, fire at night. He's leading and directing them. And then Moses goes up and spends time with God, a little bit too much time for their liking. Exodus 32 when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, who was second in command, and said, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who's brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Moses had gone to worship God. And as the people started to take their eyes off God because of impatience, 
They started to live a life that God hadn't called them to. So persevere, be willing to wait. Impatience, the drive of our culture, is one of the key reasons we begin, begin worshiping other things, especially when things get hard. Matt Redmond said again, I, I love him. He's written many of the songs that we sing, a great album that's out at the moment. If you want to find a new great worship song, type in Lamb of God into YouTube. But a man who lives humbly, who's written many, many songs, he said, the heart of God loves a persevering worshiper who, though overwhelmed by many troubles, is overwhelmed even more by the beauty of God. Should we stand together? I know we've got five minutes to go. I think I'd love Mike and the team to come up. I just want to sing that this is the air I breathe.